Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. It seems so weird to say that, but we're in that Christmas season. And uh, Shanae mentioned just a little bit ago that um, we've got our Christmas offering. And this is huge. We do this every year, and it makes such an impact in our community. This is, um, Pastor Kevin really talked a lot about it. I won't spend a lot of time on this. But over the last couple of years, we've raised above and beyond our normal giving over $200,000 that we put directly back into the community through all sorts of organizations that we partner with throughout the year, but we did a little extra around Christmas. And one of those organizations is Christmas for Kids, which makes it possible for, uh, for us to participate in that, uh, helping hundreds of children in this area wake up with Christmas gifts on, on that Christmas morning. But also, this year, one of the special things we're doing is we're also going to be taking a portion of what we received during this offering, and we're going to put it toward the, the um, recovery of uh, Officer Watts, who was shot in line of duty a few weeks ago. And so uh, thank you guys for, for doing what you're doing. We've got uh, just a couple more weeks to do this, but let's make a huge impact again this year, make Christmas special for a lot of people. All right, so Christmas, it is a great time of year, the most wonderful time of the year, as they say. And we're going to be starting this brand new series, but I wanted to kind of get us in the Christmas spirit, if, if it wasn't decorated enough to get you in the Christmas spirit. By the way, doesn't it look amazing in our concourse? A lot of people went into that, uh, helping to put that together, but also uh, some of you don't realize that our Pendleton campus, they're decorated as well. Can we say hello to Pendleton this, this morning? How are you guys over there in Pendleton? It's hard to do that in a portable setting because they meet at Pendleton High School, but they've, uh, I understand they've really... Uh, make it feel very Christmassy there as well. So I was thinking about Christmas. I thought, uh, how do we really launch into this series and get us all on that same page of Christmas? Because it's not, it's not real cold out there today, so it doesn't really maybe feel like Christmas for a lot of people. But I, w- I was researching um, different movies, Christmas movies, because I think all of us probably have a certain movie or maybe several movies that we watch to get us in the Christmas mood um, and there was no real consensus as I looked at the polls of which were the, you know, the most uh, popular Christmas movies. There were a lot of those. So I thought I would kind of do the little poll in here. And so this is, uh, this is an all skate. We're all going to participate, including Pendleton. So I'm going to read a list of some of the movies that were in the polls. And I, I want you guys either by a show of hand or, or clapping or, or cheering or whatever you do when you like hear a, a movie that you like. I want you to do this to kind of let us know who we're with, all right, so what kind of people we are, all right, so I'm just going to give you the first one on the list, and I'll just, spoiler alert, this is the best one, all right, just wanted you to know, because this is my favorite, so you're entitled to your wrong opinion if you want, but that's okay, Uh, the the first one is, It's a Wonderful Life, yeah, Yeah, that was a great one, that one is very, uh, that kind of really i get you right here. You know what I mean? That's a good one. All right, this one, we're going to go to the other side of the spectrum for those who thought that was a little too mushy. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, I don't even know that one. Okay, so didn't do well in here. All right, this one, A Christmas Story. A lot of people like that one. Honestly, I never really got into that one. You know, that's the one with the kid with the BB gun and all of that, but I never really got that one. Now, this one I know. I know, I know Foothills well enough to know that this one's going to go over big. 
Uh, and for some of you, this is your favorite Christmas movie, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. Let's bring it back. White Christmas. Anybody? Oh, yeah, I like this. And the song especially. Here's another real good one, Home Alone. A lot of people like that one. The next one I'm going to give you, this surprised me. On most of the polls, this one, not most, but many of the polls, this one was number one. And I, and I really didn't get it, but for some of you might feel this way. Elf. Yeah. yeah. What am I missing here? I don't know. Okay. And finally, how about this one? How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Well, obviously, I set that one up a little bit because you know the theme if you walk through the concourse and you saw the little bumper video is that we're kind of in a the theme this Christmas uh, of, the, of the Grinch that stole Christmas. And, and you know the story, right, about the Grinch. Uh, the Grinch, he didn't like Christmas. He didn't think like anything about Christmas. But what he thought Christmas was about, was, he was wrong, right? He thought it was about the presents. He thought it was about... Uh, all of the hoopla that goes around Christmas, but he found out he was wrong. But in that, he, in that movie or in that book, um, he, here's what he says. It says, the, the more the Grinch thought about Christmas, he thought, I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. But how? Then he got an idea, an awful idea. The Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. And we find out later that his idea is, I'm going to try to steal Christmas. I'm going to take it away. And so today what we're going to do is we're actually going to uh, kind of run on that theme a little bit there, the, the, trying to stop Christmas. And in the story we're going to look at from Matthew chapter 2, you actually have um, kind of a similar situation. You have someone trying to stop Christmas from happening. And in the story, this is King Herod. And so the story we're going to look at today is centers around really the main characters in the story are, are the wise men who come from a foreign land to bring Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh and to worship him, which is the proper response when you're around Jesus, but they come to worship him. And then there's, then there's the bad guy, boo, hiss, uh, King Herod, right? He's the bad guy. He's, the, he's a Grinch, and he doesn't like it, and he's heard of this newborn king of the Jews, and he doesn't want competition because he's a king, and he decides, I'm going to wipe him out. I'm going to kill him. And so he tries to trick the wise men into telling him where they, saw, where they find the baby Jesus so he can go worship him as well. And of course, it doesn't work out for, for King Herod. But in this story we're going to look at, I want to just say this. Again, this is going to really, for some of you, this is going to, uh, you don't realize this is going to maybe... Um, be a little, you might have to go home and rearrange your, your uh, uh, nativity scene because in a nativity scene, what you'll see is um, you'll see most nativity scenes, ceramic, wood, whatever you have, you've got the little baby Jesus in a manger. You've got Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, lovingly looking on the manger. You've got some angels who are there and you've got some shepherds who have come because the angels announced of the birth of the of the newborn king, and then you've got all of the miscellaneous farm animals that are in there in the, uh, in the stable with them, and they're all kind of looking at this. And then you've got the wise men, right? and they're looking on as well. Well, here's the problem is that it didn't work that way. The wise men were actually not there at the birth of Christ. In fact, you're, you're going to see that uh, according to most theologians, they believe that this event that we're going to look at today was probably close to two years after Jesus had been born. 
So they show up after, uh, after the fact, but it doesn't change the, the, the importance of the story. It's just to try to set the record straight a little bit, and, we're, and we'll get into that a little bit more. So, so if you've got your Bibles, your electronic device, or if not, you can look on the screen. Let, let's look at, at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and then, and then we're going to get to something that, that really I think the story is, is if we're, we're going to look be, beyond the story, we're going to see that there's an attribute of God that I want to look at today. And so let's look at this. It says, beginning in verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Again, that's the proper response when you're around Jesus. They came to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, again, King Herod, he's, he's, he's a Roman guy, and so he doesn't really know all about the, the Jewish traditions and what's supposed to happen. He's not, he's not up to date on that. He's just heard that there's this newborn king of the Jews, and he's like, wait a second, another king. And so he decides he'll call the Jewish religious leaders in and says, hey, what is the deal here? Where is this newborn king supposed to be born? You know, and so here's what they say. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And so they go to an Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Micah, and here's what it said. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling city of, cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and carefully, uh, and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Obviously, that was not his intention. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. It wasn't the baby, it was the child now, where the child was. When they saw, saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, not the stable, because apparently now Mary and Joseph are living in Bethlehem. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So here's the deal that that I want to look at, it, and I want to do this in in a way that's going to lay the foundation with some truth about who God is and then how that applies not only to this story but to our lives, okay? So let's lay the foundation because there's an attribute of God that we need to talk about that I think when you really understand that, it not only changed the perspective on this story, it will change how you view the things that come into your life. And, and I'm speaking of God's sovereignty, and that's the first point, that God is sovereign over everything. We're just saying Jesus over everything. God is sovereign over everything. And so let's talk about that word, because we don't hear that word a lot, sovereign. What does that mean? Well, sovereign simply means that, that God is over everything. He's the ruler and authority over all of the universe. There is no one higher than God. He has the first and the last say in everything. God is uh, all-powerful. Uh, he's, 
He's, which is known as omnipotent. That means God has all the power there is. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything. And he's omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. He's sovereign. He's the ruler of everything. He is number one in the universe, and there's no close second. And you have to understand this truth because what you'll see when you look at not only this story but the rest of Scripture is that because of this truth, that will give us, if we really know Christ, it gives us a, a sense of relief. Now, he has the power, power and authority over nature, over all of history, over all rulers, um, both earthly and spiritual. Uh, uh, he is over angels, demons, Satan himself, over everything. He is, he is over everything. There is, there is nobody higher than, than God, okay? So, so we have to lay this foundation, but here's the other thing we need to understand. Even though he rules and reigns over everything, he has given us a wonderful gift called free will. Like you have the ability to choose. And that's a beautiful gift if it's directed the right way. But God doesn't, didn't create us to be robots. We're, we're not puppets on a string. That God gives us this free will, but he's ultimately over everything, but we do have choices to make. And just like the wise men, they made a choice, right? They made a choice to go and worship God, this ruler of all things. And it wasn't because they had to, they weren't being forced to, but because they wanted to. And that's why they brought him the gifts. On the other hand, Herod, with his free will, wanted to try to wipe out Christmas, and that didn't work out too well for him. But what we have to understand is that when you look at the Christmas story, and I've said this for years, when you look at the Christmas story, it's so easy to compartmentalize it and to just look at it as an isolated instance, and, and in a way it is, but what you have to see it is in a bigger picture, that it's, it's, it's the beginning of events that start unfolding. So when you see the birth of Christ, you have to remember that there's the birth there's the life of Christ, there's the death of Christ, there's the burial of Christ, and there's the resurrection of Christ. All right, so when you see that as a, an entire series of events that starts and unfolds in Bethlehem that morning, it starts to make a little more sense. Okay, so ultimately God's plans prevail, and this is what we have to understand. This is part of God's plan. In Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 21, 21 it says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. He has all authority. His purpose, you can do what, you can make your own plans, but ultimately God's purpose will prevail. In Job chapter 42, verse 2, Job said, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, the Lord of heaven's armies has sworn this oath. It will happen as I have planned. It will be as I have decided. And in, and in Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 and 10 God says this remember the things I have done in the past for I alone am God I am God I am God and there is no one like me only I can tell you the future before it happens everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish now Herod thought he was in control now Herod was an earthly king he had a lot of power he had a lot of influence he had a lot of the things that many of us desire and yet he thought because of that he could thwart the plan of God he could somehow stop what God had put in place but he found out he was wrong he wanted to be in control because he was used to being in control I think this is a problem for most of us that we want to be in control Herod was kind of, it reminds me of the game King of the Mountain. You ever play King of the Mountain or King of the Hill? I'm from Florida. We didn't have either of those things, so we played King of the Bump on the ground, all right, because we didn't have it. 
But the idea behind this game is that when you're the king, you're on top of the hill, and everybody is trying to get you out of there and take the place on the hill. That's the whole idea of the game. So if I'm up there, i got to be looking because everybody else is trying to knock me out of there, and they're trying to get to be the king of the hill. This is what Herod wanted to do. He didn't like the threat of there was this newborn king of the Jews. What's that mean? What could that, what's the implications for me personally? I need to wipe him out. I don't need the competition. Let's just get it done. And the problem is, not only for him, but for a lot of us, that's how we think. Now, we wouldn't say it probably that way. We wouldn't be that brazen to say, I want to be in control. But the way we live our lives shows that very thing. Like we want to, we say, okay, God, you can be the king of the hill for today, right now, but the minute you don't measure up the way I want you to, you don't answer the prayers as quickly as I want to, you don't, you don't come through the, the way I think you should, then I'm going to pull you off of the king of the hill, and then I'm going to get up there again. I'm going to be on that throne, because as a human being, we fight the flesh, those desires, those sinful desires that says, I want to be number one, and yet that's a problem, because you're a follower of Christ. We have to recognize that he is number one and needs to stay in that position throughout the day, even when things don't look like, like they're not working out the way we thought they, they would. And that's the, that's the beauty of sovereignty, that God is fully in control, control of all things. Now, I have found in life that, that there are many things that can cause anxiety. And there are a lot of things, and, and we've all faced those things. It might be a phone call that comes in the middle of the night from someone on the other end says, I've got bad news, your, your son or your daughter was in an accident. It could be a doctor delivering some news to you and it's saying, you know, something showed on that PET scan and we're really concerned. It could be, a, it could be someone that maybe uh, comes to you, your boss, and says, hey, I've got bad news, we've got to let you go. There are a lot of things that, that take us by surprise that we don't see coming and that rock our world. But ultimately, what we have to understand is that nothing takes God by surprise. God has never been surprised by anything. God is still fully in control even when it feels out of control. And that is why sovereignty, the God's sovereignty is so important as followers of Christ to recognize that even when my life seems like it just has no order and control, that there's a God that sits on the throne of the universe and nothing takes him by surprise. He, anything that gets to me has gone through God's filter. There is nothing that, that comes unto my life that God hasn't either allowed for a purpose or something of redeeming value for myself or to bring glory to him. There's nothing. There is nobody or anything that can change that. Even me, I can't even change that. Like, it, like ultimately, God's plans will prevail. And that should bring a lot of comfort. He's in control. Now, that's the groundwork. And the reason that's important, because now we're going to see this story, this Christmas story, and not only today, but throughout this series, and this is, why, this is why God's sovereignty, because there, there are a lot of things going on here that are, that are bigger than what meets the eye. Okay, so here's the second point. God's plan has always been to save humanity from, from its sin through Jesus Christ. God's plan, again, we just said his plans will always prevail. It has always been to save humanity from its sin through Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to do now is I want to go back all the way to the beginning of the creation in Genesis, the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. In Genesis 1, you see that we're, we see God begin the creative process of creating all the world as we know, and it eventually gets to creating Adam, and then he puts Adam to sleep and takes one of his ribs and makes the woman, and he's got Eve, and, and by the, within 
the third chapter already. We barely got to the beginning of, of, of the Bible. And by the third chapter, Adam and Eve had everything perfect, but Satan comes and tempts them, and they eat the forbidden fruit, and all of a sudden, everything changes. Sin enters the world. They rebel against God's commands, and their relationship with God is, is broken. Sin has entered the world, and, and here's the thing. That sin, all right, God recognized it. That it did not take him by surprise, okay? You need to understand. When, when they sinned, God didn't go, man, I didn't see that coming. Like, I didn't know they were going to do that. God already had this plan in place. God already knew not only that they were going to sin, but that we were going to sin. And God said, I'm going to do something about it prior to it even happening because he is sovereign. He knows everything and he responds the way it needs to be responded to. So here's what Jesus said in John chapter 17. He says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Okay, so God said, okay, I've got this plan. I need to redeem mankind from its sin. It's always been his plan. There, there's never been a time that this wasn't his plan. When you see the Christmas story in Bethlehem that morning, that wasn't the beginning of Jesus. You guys understand that, right? This, that wasn't Jesus' beginning. Jesus is eternal. That's another one of, of, of God's attributes. He's eternal. There's never been a time that Jesus did. He was, he was never created. He was the creator. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Always been, all right? Jesus made his earthly debut in Bethlehem, this miracle of the uh, incarnation where Jesus, fully God, comes to earth, becomes fully man, 100% God, 100% man. That's that's known as the incarnation. That is is God doing that. But that wasn't when Jesus first, uh, that was his appearance on earth, but he's always been. Now that's important because all of what we're going to talk about now is going to point to this. Okay, Ephesians, New Testament scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, listen to this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Watch this. Even before he made the world, that's Genesis 1. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. This is amazing. Look, look. I know some of you are going, man, this is getting a little deep. I don't even know where we're going with this. Look, this is, this is foundational truth that you need to understand because this, when, you, when all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and you go, wow, I see that now. I understand it. It was part of the plan. So Jesus, for... for as human beings, you know what I do when I make a plan? I make a plan, but I don't know the future. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work out. I take all of my human wisdom that I could possibly have. I take past experience into account. I put together a formula. I do my research, do my due diligence. I do all that, and I make a plan. But I know, since I don't know the future, that there is a possibility, no matter how much work I've put into my plan, that it might not come to pass. So I put a contingency plan or a plan B. And that's smart, right? And then I need a plan C because that one may not work out. And then if that doesn't work out, maybe I keep going. That's not how God works. When God recognized and God knew from the beginning before he laid the foundation of the earth that that sin would enter the world and there needed to be a a, a fix for that and it was going to be Jesus, 
that God didn't have a plan B. Jesus has always been plan A. There is never going to be another plan. He needs the only way to salvation. That's, he is the plan A. That's how God operates. There is nothing else. And so now when you look at this, now let me give you another verse. In 1 Peter, Peter says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, we're all inherited the sin nature, and that leads to an empty life. And if you don't know Christ, and you've never had your sins forgiven, you are living an empty life. You may try to fill it with things, but it will never really hit the, the deep needs of your heart. He says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he has been revealed for your sake. This is amazing. I, I, these are the kind of verses that if, if, if inside, I don't, I'm, you're not expressing it outwardly, so I'm, I'm guessing inside you're going, amen, amen, because I'm not hearing it. Listen, God paid a ransom for us. We, were, we inherited an empty life because of our sin. Oh, some of you, you're going to catch this later, I hope, because you're not getting it now. Listen, we had an empty life. We had nothing going for us. All we had was sin, and all that was going to lead to was death. But God ransomed us. You know what happens if you were kidnapped today, and the kidnappers put a ransom on you? We try to get up a money, depending on who you are. We try to get up a lot of money for you, all right? And then we would hope, that, so we'd pay that money and they'd hope to release you. But listen, the Bible says that, that we inherited this empty life. We were held captive by our sin. And Jesus, God sent Jesus as our ransom. And he paid it not with mere gold or silver, which lose their value, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. That's, the, that's what he did. And so when Christmas comes, the reason, do you know that the Bible never tells us to remember his birth? Two of the Gospels don't even talk about his birth. Only Luke and Matthew talk about his birth. But every single one of the Gospels talk about his death, burial, and resurrection. And we're told to remember that because it sets off this event. It was the right time in history for God to do this. Thousands of Adam and Eve, thousands of years prior. And then 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes to this earth. There's this, all this other time in between where what they had to do was in order to compensate for that sin is to, to have an animal sacrifice that would, that would atone for their sins for the year. And then they would have to come back year after year after year to do that. But Jesus was the spotless, sinless lamb of God who shed his blood so that it was a sacrifice once and for all. This is, this is the foundation of Christianity. And this is why Christmas, sometimes we only focus on the birth, but understand it's bigger than that. In Acts chapter 2, it says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus in Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grips. This is, this is again, 
setting into motion at that time the birth of Jesus in, in, a, in a stable in Bethlehem. Two years later, the, the wise men show up. And then he lives this life on earth, this perfect life for 33 years. He goes, uh, when he's 33, he goes to a cross and he dies and he, he's buried, he resurrects. He ascends back to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us today. This is the God we serve. And that's why when we think of Christmas, think about it as as bigger than just a birth, but there's gonna be a death, a burial, resurrection, which was all part of the plan. It was all part of the plan. All right, so let me give you the last three. And that is this. In spite of opposition, God's plans, uh, plans always prevail. In spite of opposition, God's plans always prevail. If you're wondering... Because I, I want to make this very personal now, okay? That was good, and, 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 you know, it's amazing to think about, but now let's talk about it for us personally. God's got this plan, ultimate plan, and it will always come to pass because that's how God's plans always prevail. But what about his plan for you? Because God has a plan for your life. So if we personalize this and say, well, wait a second, I have not, I mean, I haven't done my part. My life's been a, a mess. It's been a train wreck. And I haven't followed God my, life, my whole life. I've made a lot of mistakes. And I've done things that probably disqualify me from God's love, much less his plan for my life. There's, I'm sure I've messed that up somewhere along the way. Let me tell you something. Don't, don't think you're greater than you are. You're not powerful enough to ruin God's plan. You're not that powerful. God has a plan. Now, can I circumvent things by my mistakes? Yes. But ultimately, God's plan will prevail. The truth be known, there's no reason. It does not make human sense that I would be standing up here sharing with you what I'm sharing today because for the you know, first third of my life or more, I was so, I, I, didn't, even, I didn't even know who he was. I didn't even know, I knew nothing about God. And I certainly didn't follow God. And, and even as a believer, I've zigged when I should have zagged so many times. It's, it's amazing. I'm not big enough to mess up God's plan. God is going to, his purposes will prevail. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to live frivolously or that I should just do whatever I want. And somehow it's, no, the fact of the matter is God has this purpose in it for your life. And even though you might have made a lot of mistakes, God can still work through that. And that's what we have to remember. In Matthew chapter 2, let's go back because this is what Herod thought. Herod thought, okay, I'll just stop it right now. And there's this opposition. And he's thinking, I'll just, you know, just do what I've always done. I'll just, I'll just take care of things. Matthew chapter 2. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And he's devising his plan. This is, this is human plan. This is what he's doing. He's Herod, the great King Herod. And he's fought many opponents and been victorious. And he's thinking, what is this newborn king of the Jew? He won't be any different. So he comes up with this plan. All right, wise men, you know, you guys go. And when you, you find him, come back and tell me. I'll go worship him too. What he's going to do, he's going he's to wipe him out, right? That's his plan. He, he didn't have the, he, he wasn't big enough to stop God's plan. The great King Herod could not stop God's plan. You know why? Because God's sovereign. God makes the rules. God makes the rules. There's nobody, 
There is nobody that has more authority than God. It just, it's just the way that it is. Let me give you an example in Scripture, okay, because you can see this happening over and over. I mean, you read the Bible, you'll see this over and over again. There were so many reasons that things shouldn't have worked out, but God's plan prevailed. One of the greatest examples is, is Joseph in the Old Testament. Not the same Joseph, the Marian Joseph, but the Old Testament Joseph. This was a guy that literally, if it could have gone wrong, it went wrong for this guy. God's hand was on his life, and his brothers hated him. And his brothers decided, you know, let's kill him. He's just, we don't like him, let's kill him. And they were going to kill him. And then one of the brothers said, hey, why kill him? Let's make a profit, let's sell him. And so um, they, they, uh, this, they decide to sell him to some passing uh, caravans of, of traders. And they, and, they, and they sell their brother. And he ends up in Egypt. And he ends up doing pretty good. And then somebody makes a false claim that he tried to rape somebody. And then he gets thrown in jail, which none of it was true. But again... It's a bad break. He's in jail. He's doing the best he can. Things are working out for him pretty good because God's hands on his life. And then he gets some buddies in jail and he helps them out. And they said, man, we'll, we'll remember you. As soon as they get out of jail and get their freedom, they forget about him. He languishes in jail for a while. And eventually he gets his opportunity. And he does a good job interpreting some dreams and eventually he gets elevated and elevated and elevated and there's this guy who eventually is now somehow other than the sovereignty of God just couldn't happen but now he's the second most powerful person of all of Egypt this this Jewish boy in Egypt only the Pharaoh is more power than Joseph but God was working a plan because there was going to be a great famine in the land, in the entire world, and had Joseph not been in that position, the Jews would have been wiped out, but they were God's people, and God said, no, that's not going to happen, and so he works this series of events through all of these difficult situations, and ultimately gets Joseph in this position, so that when, they, when they're handing out food, Joseph is able to make sure that people get the food, including the Jewish people, and so his brothers, not knowing, they don't know what's happened to him, they've sold him, they don't know, that was years ago. They show up to get some grain to take back home because of the famine, because Joseph is distributing it. They come in. They don't recognize Joseph because it's been so many years, but he recognizes them. And eventually, through this long series, I don't have time, eventually he tells them who he is. And now they're afraid. Oh, he's going to kill us. I mean, we, 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 we did him wrong, and he's going to get even with us now. But here's what Joseph says in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. He said, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Whose plan was it? It was God's plan. Through all of those mistakes and all the bad things that happened, God's plan prevailed and good things happen. Here's what, it's, here's what he said later in Genesis 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Sovereignty of God. The plans of God will always prevail throughout history. So let's get back to the story now. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. I did not read this earlier, but here's what happens after that. 
after the wise men were gone, because they went a different way, they weren't going to go back to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, okay? Joseph's is earthly father of Jesus. Not that one I was just talking about. I know a lot of Josephs around here, okay? But angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. The intervention of God, right? An angel shows up, wakes him up, says, in a dream, says, hey, you, you need to get out of here. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary's mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise, uh, uh, realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He witted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of, of the star's first appearance. You see what could have happened, right? All of the boys, two years old and younger, were killed in a genocide by this nut, King Herod, because he is so threatened, and yet because of God's sovereignty and God's plan prevailing of Jesus Christ being the only redemption for our sins, the one who ransomed us by his own blood. Eventually, he would die, but it would be under God's, under God's timing and God's plan as he died on a cross for our sins, but not now. Now, all of this, you've got to, at some point, you've got to admit, this, this, it, there's just too many things going on here to, for this to be coincidence. There's got to be something bigger, right? There's got to be. It's the sovereignty of God. Let me ask you a question real quick. What is it in your life that is causing you anxiety right now? You're thinking, man, my life is out of control. I don't think anything good can come out of this. I'm not sure I'll ever get victory over this. I'm not, maybe, maybe you've got, maybe you've been praying about something and you haven't seen come through and you're thinking, is it, should I just quit? Maybe you've got a wayward child. You raised them to, to believe the right things, had them in church, they got older, they're, they're out there doing what they're doing now, and it's just breaking your heart, and you're thinking, man, I've been praying, but it doesn't, doesn't look like things are, are happening, and I'm just ready to give up. Let me tell you something, God's still in control. Maybe you've been fighting an addiction, and there's been many times you've just said, this is going to be the time, this is going to be the time, and it never is the time. You start back up in that addiction. You're just so frustrated, you're just ready to throw in the towel. Let me tell you something, God's plan will prevail, you just got to work with him. Maybe there's a situation going on in some, maybe your marriage. Maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread and you're thinking, I just, I'm ready to give up. We've gone to counseling. We've done everything everybody told us to do. It's not working. Can I just tell you something? God's plan will prevail, but you've got to work with him. We have a God that's sovereign. God has a plan. His plans will prevail. And not just on Christmas, but throughout our lives. And that should bring you peace. To know that no matter how bad your life may look right now, that there is a God who sits on the throne of all the universe and he is so aware of your situation. And he is working behind the scenes, even though you may not be able to see it, God is at work. And all he wants you to do is trust him. And I want to turn to our Pendleton campus for Pastor Joseph. Could we say goodbye to those guys right now? See you guys. But I want to wrap up with this. I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe, first of all, I want to give you an opportunity if you don't know Jesus and you've been carrying that weight of your sin, recognize that he ransomed you. 
You're living that empty life, but you don't have to live that empty life. You can give your life to Jesus. But there are many of us in this room that are going through some sort of struggle, and we have given up hope because we have failed to recognize that there is a God who is still working actively in that situation. And I just want to, just, I want to pray for you. And then be, after we're done, there'll be some people up here who would pray with you if you need that, okay? So let's pray together. God, thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that right now that you're sitting on the throne and the Bible tells us that you don't sleep and you don't slumber and you know what's going on. You never take a day off 24-7, 365. You're in control even when it feels like sometimes you're not. And I'm praying for my brothers and sisters in this room who are going through some difficulty in their life and they just feel like things are so out of control. And they just want peace. They just want, they just want it to stop. They just want it just to have a sense of calm in their life. And I pray, God, that you would work through that, that situation, but in the meantime, just give them the peace of knowing that you're actively working. I pray for that person or those people in this room who are watching online that maybe have never made the decision to follow you. They're living an empty life. They've tried to fill it with everything there is, but they know at the end of the day they're empty. And I'm praying that they recognize that the only plan, the plan A, the only plan, Jesus is the answer. And if that describes you right now, maybe just as a way of committing, just offer a prayer to Jesus saying, Jesus, right now, I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe you died on that cross for me to rescue me from this empty life, to ransom me. You laid down your life, and I am placing my faith in you as my leader from this day forward. God, thank you for all that you do in our lives, for never leaving us nor forsaking us, for the story of Christmas which sets into motion the birth, the life, the death, and ultimately the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. May we remember that as we go through this season. In the name of Jesus, we pray.